Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. Welcome, I'm your host, David Strausser, and this is Shark Bite Biz. Your place to learn to achieve small business growth during a global pandemic. We have an amazing show today. Literally, it is one of my favorites. First, for all of you that follow my show, you know I always have an unstructured but structured conversation. Okay, what I mean by that is, yeah, I have bullet points that I work with, but we pretty much go wherever the conversation leads us and really try to hone in on the points of value. I'll go down the rabbit hole if I think it has value for myself or my viewers. Today's episode is an excellent scenario of this in action. We're talking about digital privacy, what you should or shouldn't do. We're talking AI algorithms. We are talking about how big tech companies had to change their business practices due to the ongoing global pandemic. This episode is packed. And as I said before, it is also amazing. So who is today's guest? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I'll tell you right now. It is Bob Barry. And Bob Barry is a principal at Answer Lab, where he's guiding Google, Amazon, Facebook, FedEx, and many other top companies to create a new optimal online experience in the age of coronavirus. He's also the founder of the Human Computer Mastermind Academy. In the early 90s at Hewlett Packard, he led the teams that designed the first ever e-commerce, e-learning, social media, and cloud services. He designed and launched new learning systems that have guided over 37,000 youth in all 50 states to prepare for life. He speaks teaches, consults, mentors, conducts research, and has directed leadership events worldwide with executives at Microsoft, Canon, eBay, GE, Honeywell, Lilly, and many more. In other words, this guy's got some serious credentials. So without further ado, let's bring Bob on in here. Business Strategy. Bob, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. So glad to have you here. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to having this conversation. Oh, no problem. As all our viewers know, the very first question we ask everybody is, who are you? What's your experience? What's your background? So my background is experience. My <laughs> my history throughout my entire career has been all about user experience. I started with Hewlett Packard back well before the days of the internet. But as HP transitioned to being a leading internet company, at least back then they were, we, did, we invented a lot of the first experiences around social media, cloud-based services, distance wow. learning. And we didn't have those terms back then, but we were inventing a lot of those new uh, wow. those new solutions. I've also done a lot of experiences for helping young people prepare for life uh-huh. and do assessments and you know simulations for what the real world looks like. And these days I work for a company called Answer Lab, where we work with uh, some of the top brands like Amazon, Google, Facebook, FedEx to create experiences that help Never them heard succeed. Of them. 
Never heard of <laughs> them. Heard yeah, of we'll, 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 we'll talk more about them and I'll get you more familiar with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then I also have my own operation called itsusers.com, which is an online academy to help startups, professionals figure out this art and science of experience, which drives so much of the online success that we're all looking for. It's an incredible, diverse background in the tech field. The one question that popped into my mind I want to ask you off the bat then would be, you said social media with HP before it was known as social media. What did that look like? That that I'm curious. Well, so back in those days, I actually worked on the scientific side at, at HP, where we did a lot of very high tech instrumentation. Right, and they and they for years they kind of followed the old Apple model, where mm-hmm. Apple did a lot of work in education at all levels. And so HP in those days had very close relationships with major engineering universities around the world. And the thinking was to get all this equipment, HP's brand in front of all these students. So when they became professionals, when they got out in the workforce and it came time to sign those checks, that those checks would have HP's name on them. So, So we started doing online communities and remote interactions like this wow. and doing forums. And, you know, back in those days, we had a lot of funny words for them that you don't hear much anymore <laughs> to help to interact with all these students and professors and engineering programs at universities around the world to, um, I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was all about learning and it was all about, you know, advancing new technology, but it also, obviously there was a business goal behind it too, to promote the brand. That's pretty cool. Yeah. A lot of people, I think they kind of forget just because of how advanced things are about a lot of our technology. I mean, it's been around for a while. It's evolved. Remember just reading an article, I believe it was sometime in 2020. It's been such a crazy year, but the first video call actually, I think happened like 50 years ago. I think it was. So it's crazy how a lot of those technologies actually did have roots, you know, decades ago and really now are just coming, I I guess you could say, truly mainstream. Yes, it is amazing, especially, you know, when you look at things like I have my Apple Watch, which has full LTE and there's, you know, I mean, the stuff evolves gradually Mm -hmm. and we don't think about it. But every now and if you step back and you really think about all the things that an Apple Watch can do, especially if it has LTE, it's just it's kind of, especially somebody my age who I was around before none of this stuff existed. So it's, uh, it's pretty astounding to think uh, how far we've come and, and, you know, and, and and what's it going to look like when my kids are my age? That's, it's hard to imagine. Oh yeah, no, it is. It is. Now you don't need a a book bag full of uh, different tools and apparatuses. You have it all right there in your watch. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, Right now, we're going through a global pandemic that just keeps sticking around. One of the big trends that we've had is people are still able to work, but they're mostly working at home. So the, the first question I want to ask you is, how can we flatten the curve and save lives by helping businesses and, and workers succeed remotely and online? You know, that's, that's a really good question. And there's a tremendous amount of innovation going on out there right now. So there's a couple of sides to that coin. You know, one, one side of that coin is your own workforce. So one of the, one of the key concerns, one of, the key, one of the key priorities right now is keeping people safe. And that has a lot to do with doing everything we do contactless. Uh, so, so many businesses, so many organizations, uh, so many 
what have been traditionally face-to-face interactions have been forced to figure out how to do this without direct contact, right? And some of these are working pretty well. You know, you look at a lot of the high-tech companies and all the tools that a lot of them actually already had in place, but now they've really expanded them and optimized Mm -hmm. them so that people can do what we're doing right here, which is interact, get projects done, get work completed, et cetera, while working remotely. Um, And then the other side of that coin is then looking outward to the world. How are we going to continue to do business and interact with all of the different people we have to interact with? Now, some organizations are doing this very well. So if you look at a you know classic example is a company like Amazon, of yeah. course, who was already online, and you look at how they're exploding, and there are lots of other examples of online e-commerce companies that have figured out how to take advantage of our shipment systems, oh, yeah. learn how to take advantage of you know learn how to scale up volume, learn how to add new products and services. Then there's another sector of you know medium and small businesses that have figured out how to do this. You know all the restaurants that are going curbside delivery. Yep. Um, you know, doctors' offices that have figured out how to do doctor visits remotely, um, and you know, I, I hear stories and I've seen examples of uh, tailors that have figured out how to use mobile apps to do yep. body measurements, measurements for fitting a suit, or construction companies that have figured out how to do redesign of your, you know, you're, you want to remodel a part of your house. They can do a lot of it via video. Yeah, just today, I just read an article about Amazon now having FAA approval to deliver packages via drone. That's like remote delivery. <laughs> it's like remote delivery. So there are a lot of companies that are getting very creative, that are reinventing, that are expanding what they have, that are both internally to work remotely and as well as how they're serving their customers. But there are major realms here that we're still struggling with. Right. So education is one of them. And so kids that at all ages, all the way up through grad school and beyond, you know, we still have not figured out this recipe. And so right yeah. now, as we speak, here it is the beginning of September and everybody's trying to go back to school. Well, it's really been a struggle for parents, for students, for administrators, for teachers, everybody across the board. Uh, we learned last spring when all the lockdowns happened and the pandemic hit that remote learning and distance learning, we thought we'd figured it out, but we haven't. There's so many aspects of it that we still have. So it's really a mixed bag of how well we're doing in this contactless world. Yeah. I I was surprised by the remote learning experience, how much it changed. I guess they had time to plan. They had summer to plan how to roll it out. But now my daughter, my, I have a, second grader and a senior. And now they're, they're forced to sit at their desk and they get live training through Google Classrooms now. Whereas last year, it was kind of like, okay, go through this kind of like a PowerPoint, you know, fill out some work, save it, and you're done. So it has evolved relatively shortly in how they're delivering the the classroom and the education. But yes, it it, it varies drastic compared district to district on how that's being delivered. Yeah, it really, it varies a great, and of course it varies depending on what the local situation is with COVID. Yeah. You know, depending on how widespread it is and what kind of testing resources are available and how well people have adapted to distancing Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of the complications that go along with managing a pandemic. So yeah, Yeah, it's it's quite variable from one location and one level of school to, I, I have a, I have a sister who runs an in-home daycare with yeah. little kids. 
Oh. And and how do you convince how do you convince little kids to wear masks and right not touch each other? It it doesn't. Yeah, that's definitely got to be challenging. Another thing that really kind of struck me when you were speaking there is a lot of the technology that you've mentioned or the pivot. We've had this stuff for a while, whether it's Zoom calls, Teams, e-commerce. But I think what has happened is because of the pandemic, we've been forced to get good at it, for better or worse. It forced it into the mainstream. And it's kind of cool because look how Microsoft Teams was, for example, back in February. Look how much development it's got added into it that probably wasn't planned, most of it, between February and August. I mean, it, it's drastically improved. And, and, and what you're speaking to mm-hmm. is all about experience. When right. you say it's drastically improved, it's how easily can people at all skill levels uh, install it, log onto it, interact with it, and get the work done and communicate and collaborate in the ways that they need to and, and do it easily and seamlessly and not have it be a hassle and not have it be a frustration. That's all about experience. So all these other examples we've been talking about, whether Mm -hmm. it's small business, whether it's major corporations, e-commerce, Amazon, you know, sixth graders, grad school, whatever, all of those are about experiences. We're we're having to take existing experiences, expand them, make them much higher capacity or invent entirely new experiences. Right to replace what we used to do face-to-face in person. Right. And it's a, it's, a, it's a rapidly changing world as we invent all those new experiences. Now, we, we mentioned earlier about how technology has evolved and it's evolved at, a, at an accelerated speed during COVID. But I also think that humans have done a pretty good job at evolving too. I mean, we have been able to pick up the changes to work with the technology, regardless of skill level. I mean, obviously some people better than others. Uh, Ask any help desk support and they'll tell you that. But I mean, if the human capital part, the human experience part wasn't able to make that shift with technology, I think we'd still be lost too. That's a really good point. And that's, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how much of this stuff sticks Mm -hmm. uh, when we don't know what the end game looks like for the pandemic. It's right. such a huge question right now, but some of this stuff is going to be entirely permanent or some of it's going to be portions of it are going to be permanent. And you're right. It, it, none of this, none of these experiences would work if the people who are engaging them and using mm-hmm. them aren't willing to put forth more effort to change their way of doing things to adapt to, to new ways. So, so one of the key principles that we operate on is that the experience is really at the center of every possible business outcome and beyond right. really. So so every business outcome, everything that you want to accomplish in business with your business, with customers, requires those customers to make some discrete decision or series right. of decisions. And every one of those decisions has to happen within some kind of experience that you're going to provide them. And that requires participation, willingness, skill, whatever on the part of the individual to engage and make those decisions. So it's a it's a powerful dynamic and it's become a lot more ubiquitous. And we thought it was ubiquitous before. Yeah. 
you know, six months ago, mm-hmm. but boy, we, we, we had no idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I guess let's shift a little bit to, you know, the focus on online business. We've had many business owners on here talking. I can remember Jenny Mann of the guitar string jewelry company. She was explaining about, Hey, you know, e-com was maybe 10% of our business. And then this happened. We had to redo all our marketing, everything, all our process flows, because we used to sell just in events, live, in person, concerts, stuff like that. Now we're only selling online, but our online orders are up like a million percent. Okay. So how is, you know, how's that shift going to be? And is this going to be permanent? You know, I think it is. I think that, um, um, in some ways, we're going to find that um, the we're going to have to manage the virus. Possibly, I'm not trying to predict the future, but it's very mm-hmm. possible that the the virus is going to just become part of our society, mm-hmm. part of our culture. Now, right. it's not something that we're going to solve or that's going to go away. It's going to be a seasonal kind of thing, um, and 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 therefore we're going to have to adapt to it permanently. So it's not, you know, so I think some people like to think at some point it'll be over. Uh, I don't, based on the science I've heard, I don't think that's going to happen. I just so I heard like Spain, there. for example, I guess it's starting to get flu season out there and they're starting to see spikes again. And it's, it, I don't think anybody knows where this is going to go. And that, that I think brings a big level of uncertainty into how business owners think. Well, and I think what some business owners maybe a lot of business owners are realizing is that um, this might be more cost effective Mm -hmm. than the way they did it before. Um, This might be, um, it it might actually, like if on the internal side, I think what a lot of companies are realizing is that they resisted remote work before because right. they were worried, you know, people were going to be moving off or how productive are we yeah. going to be? Blah, blah. And now they're finding out, oh, wait a minute, this works. Yeah. You know, I would not want to be in commercial real estate right now, okay? <laughs> because, because that business, I mean, there was just a news story yesterday where uh, Pinterest paid some Ooh. tens of millions of dollars to exit a, a new commercial office space lease that they you know, they had to pay some penalty to exit this thing. And and they paid, a, I mean, you know, they paid, what is that? Eight figures. Wow. Well into eight figures to say, we're not going to do office space anymore. Mm. And so a lot of companies are realizing that they can make this work and they can oh, be productive. Yeah. And Here's a perfect and, example um, for you too. We have a prospect with my day job, Vision 33, that you know of. This company's from Cambridge, right outside of Boston, I believe. And they were saying that, uh, you know, they were forced to work remotely. And then they realized like, hey, we don't even need an office anymore. They use a contract manufacturer for their manufacturing. They have a 3PL for their shipping. It's why are we renting this office? So they're in a hurry to get this deal signed with us so that we can kind of blueprint it while they're all together. And then they just said that they're going to get a virtual office with, uh, what is it, Regus or something like that for when they need an occasional business site. But they terminated their lease. Yeah, that that's and 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 you're seeing some interesting dynamics of that now. So in some of the major urban areas, mm-hmm. Bay Area, New York City. You know, what did I hear yesterday that um, yeah. homes in the Hudson Valley north of New York City 
are going like 30% above list price. Right. And people people are getting like 20 and 30 offers on the day they list it. Wow. Because people in those major urban areas are saying, you know, I don't need to be near the subway anymore. I don't need to, you know, uh, um, I don't need to deal with the noise and the congestion. I now I need a yard. I need more room for a home office. I'm just yep. looking for a higher quality of life. I want better schools for my kids because I don't need to be so tied to that skyscraper down the street anymore. Yeah. And so it's 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 changing our demographics as a as a yep. working culture. It's I, pretty I, you know, to add on to that. Yeah, to add on to that, I think I just read yesterday as well too about the I believe it's the Silicon Valley or San Francisco, you know, in that general area. I believe it was like a hundred percent more vacancy compared to a year before. That's how drastic things are because people. We, we had Brian Guzdorf from an LA marketing agency here, and he was telling us like his employees working from home. It's almost like they work more just because they're like, "Hey, I'm here. Notice me. I am working," and it's been more beneficial to where he says, "Absolutely." It'll be 100% permanent after this is done. We we should do another podcast where <laughs> I can just tell you stories. So all day long, we do this research and we talk yeah. to people all over the country that are in their homes and their kitchens and their decks. And, and you know, it's the, the dogs and the cats and the kids and the grandparents oh. and, the, and the lawnmower next door and the ex-wife and the, you know, and it's you get to see into people's homes and people's lives in ways that we never did before when we oh, were yeah. all in the office. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna write a soap opera when all this is done about all the experiences. <laughs> we, 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 yeah, we definitely should. But how do you think this all then is going to be redefining uh, the global economy going forward? Because I mean, things are going to change. Whether it's real estate, the way that that people. I mean, if you're hiring people remotely, does that mean that hey, look, my workers? I'm a Philadelphia-based company. Okay, I'm hiring my workers remotely. So do I really need to hire them out of Philly anymore? Does that open it up to where then I can hire anybody nationally, internationally? How's this whole landscape changing? Well, I think that's, yeah. So everything we're talking about with uh, migrations, hiring practices, uh, levels of productivity, uh, workplace diversity, there's a lot of a lot of those things are changing. Uh, you know, some new areas that are when they're not so new, the new aspects of some of these areas that are starting to emerge. One is privacy. Oh, yeah. Um, so so privacy is now taken on a huge new dimension that it didn't six months ago. So just a few examples, uh, certainly with the the, the virus, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a key aspect of managing this ultimately is going to have to be some degree of testing, tracing and tracking. Right. Now, we all have these mobile devices that we carry around, and there's already technology out there from Apple and Google to provide levels of communication across platforms and between users about how to keep track of who may be infected and who you've been exposed to. Now, right. you can have a lot of discussions about culturally, politically, are we willing to accept all right. this? But, you know, but there's a level of privacy involved in that now that we've never had to deal with before. Uh, if you look at all all that's happening with social justice mm -hmm. and protests in the street and what the police may be doing, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of the police for using facial recognition software. Yes. Um, you know, a as this develops, so all of these wearables that have all this health tracking data on them. So how are we going to manage all of that data? You know, the major manufacturers have just launched a whole slew of new wearable devices. Yeah. 
that push the technology even further. So we have new health challenges now that we're going to have to keep track of personally. Right. And how does that affect our data privacy laws and practices? How are we going to manage our own data? So that whole that whole realm around and privacy we're a little is a bit deal. unique here, stateside. I think privacy. I think most people are more lax with privacy. They're getting tight on privacy. I think it's they're they're starting to open their eyes. But if you compare us to you know, Europe, for example, uh, in the states, we're much more looser. I think with how we take our own privacy. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, in fact, it is. In fact, we did, we've done actually done a couple of studies with a lot of end users around data privacy. And uh, without going into all the details, they sort of fall into three chunks. Right. Uh, roughly a half to a third of the general user population is pretty clueless. Yeah. You know, they may com- be completely uninformed or they may just have some vague concept and they often get privacy mixed up with identity theft, and right. things that are not really about the kind of privacy we're talking about. Then there's another third that's probably fairly informed. You know, they maybe they've gone in and tweaked their privacy settings on Google or Facebook, and maybe they pay a little bit more attention to, to the emails that they click on and things like that, but they're still not that informed. And then there's about 10% of people that are pretty savvy, that really understand the technology, that have really gone out of their way to protect their own privacy. But that was done. Those surveys were done last year before the virus came along, before all this other stuff happened. So my guess is those populations are changing rapidly. I think people are now, like you say, people are going to become a lot more savvy and they're going to pay a lot more attention to it. And we're going to start to move in the direction of some of the other cultures in the world that um, are a lot more. Should, Should we be that concerned over privacy? I'll use myself as an example. I'm very into it as far as I understand it. I know how it works, Facebook, Gbit, everything. I understand that. I don't know. I kind of choose to be open. I just, I don't, it doesn't bother me, but there are some things that I do want private, you know, some things with the kids or stuff like that. I mean, what's with the, I guess, what's the real risk with the, the privacy out there? How serious should they take? It? Well, I guess I, I think I actually take that as a value question. Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are some schools of thought. Andrew Yang is actually a yes. prom- proponent of some of this to say that, you know, our, our data should belong to us. I totally okay, it doesn't be- that. It, yes. It doesn't belong to you know, big social media platforms or search engines or whatever. And if anybody's going to make money off of our data, we at least should participate in that. Right. We should have the right to to realize some value from that ourselves, which we don't today. No. So that's one school of thought. You know, there's another school of thought that says there's a lot of benefit that I get from people knowing who I am and my preferences and you know, and certain demographic factors, okay. et cetera. So I don't have anything to hide. I'm not doing anything illegal or immoral. Therefore, I'm not that worried about it. If you, you, you probably already lie. know it anyway. Yeah. So, you know, if it serves me in some useful way, that's fine. There are other people that really believe that we should lock it all down and it really should be, you know, no, nobody should get access to this information except us. Uh, and we should have total control over it. And, and so, I mean, it really depends on your value system and kind of where you, where you fall. Um, you know, there's some really interesting things happening here. I'm sure you've heard that um, 
Apple has announced that in iOS 14, they're going to be removing some of these ad tracking capabilities. Oh, yeah, I saw all the news around that. And I think, who was it complaining? Microsoft or Google, one of them, maybe both. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook that's Face- who it was, Face- yes. Facebook, Facebook is going to risk losing up to half of their ad tracking capability uh, if if it's what it's cracked up to be. And of course, Apple as a device manufacturer has the luxury of doing this versus a company like Google or Facebook, which are more, they're more content right. purveyors than device purveyors. So Apple can kind of pull the strings and, you know, yeah. and, and position themselves as being the privacy experts and you know, these other guys are not going you know, to worry so much about <laughs> But them. isn't there some benefit though for tracking i view it i I, i'm trying to play a little devil's advocate here because instead of seeing random ads that have nothing to do with what i need uh if i see content that's actually tailored to me to some degree it could open my eyes like the video platform that we're using right now i never would have found out about it if it wasn't for an eventual ad that I ran into because of that stuff. Yes, and, and I agree with that. And I, and I actually subscribe to some of that myself, mm-hmm. although we're professionals in this space. So mm-hmm. we can see, we can understand a lot of the underlying technology. We can a- actively observe the benefits that we get from it. The ad, I'll tell you, the average person on the street Doesn't. is not in that same. They, you know, they'll have a conversation with a friend about, you know, new sneakers and then they go to Facebook and they see the sneaker ads and they they think they think Facebook is eavesdropping on them through their phone which is not what's happening but right. they don't understand how it works and it makes them very nervous you know what it, scares me and it makes them very uncomfortable what when i think about something when i think about something and then it appears on my phone when i did not say it anywhere and what i've been told is that's evidence that the AI algorithms are working, that they know you and they know your thought process. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yes, yes. that's exactly. Wow. That's, that's what's going on. Yeah, the, 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 the algorithm is so good that it, yeah, it, it knows as much about you as, you know, as you know about what you, what you want and what you're interested in. So that's, that's what's happening. So here. I think yeah. this- Although some people- some people may not interpret it that way, though. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. So I, I think this whole privacy discussion and stuff that we've been talking about actually leads us up pretty nicely then. We're talking about tracking, privacy, tech, all that good stuff. How does that work then for businesses as far as the choices made by prospects and their customers within those online experience, you know, to help create the better experiences for them? Well, I actually think, I actually think that's a risk. And that's uh, in these days of COVID, um, I think there's an element of risk associated with what's happening in the world right now with businesses and with individuals because of the changes in the data model. So right. our ability to model our customers, I mean, as simple as knowing their email address or their phone number. Um, and, and those data models, those customer records have a lot to do with whether or not we can succeed as businesses, depending on our business. But in a lot of cases, those models are changing rapidly now because businesses are closing or people are getting laid off 
or businesses are relocating. There's a, there's a level of change right now in the business world right. that puts some portion of those existing data models and customer records at risk. So I think this, one of the things we're going to need to do is put some effort into confirming the data that we have and making sure that it's accurate and we can still use it in our, in our right. Right. Programs. No, I, I've heard that as well too, that the data, the trends, you just throw it out the window because it's not necessarily going to be accurate now. I mean, there's a lot of employees, for example, they're buying things that they may never have thought about buying before, but they're buying it because now they're working from home. They need it. Maybe their employer's spending it, and that's not necessarily part of their buying habits either. So there, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on with that. I, I guess I'd like to wrap up. I, I have to ask you some questions about big tech to wrap up. Amazon, Google, Facebook, all of our tech giants how have they really pivoted during this global pandemic? So they have actually increased investment in a lot of their online experiences, a lot of the ways that they interact and ways that they do marketing online. So they've begun, they recognize that, um, that again, because of the dynamics, a lot more business is going to be conducted online. So they've done a lot of, obviously a lot of them have also gone to remote work. Right. So, you know, there, and of course in high tech, you, you work stay, work on a laptop that gives you the benefit of being able to make that kind of pivot. Um, they're also doing a lot more around. Uh, so when we talk about user experience, we talk about a, a lot more than just the interface, right. the digital interface that people see and interact with. So they do a lot more around developing user personas, right. developing journey maps, uh, developing the larger narrative of what happens in people's lives, whether that's consumers or businesses, because that provides the context for when somebody is going to look to them for some product or some service or go to them for entertainment or go to whatever, right. whatever they want to do with them. It, that whole, you know, that whole model is changing as well. So they do a lot more than just the direct interface. They really look at these people's lives and what motivates them and what challenges they have to deal with. Um, Inclusivity is another big deal, really paying a lot more attention. And certainly now with everything going on with social right. justice, looking at all types of demographics, making sure that we're including all groups in the services and the products that we're providing and the research that we run to validate that those products and services and experiences are serving all the right people in, in equitable ways. Um, and, you know, and more and and they they already had all of this deeply embedded in their culture, right. but it's becoming even more and more so. It's now becoming very visible from the top levels on down of the importance of doing this kind of research, of staying this close to customers, and paying close attention to the world and how it's changing. I mean, it's a matter of survival now. It's it's something that we have to do in order to stay current with everything that's going on in with the virus, with our economy, politically, et cetera. So those are yeah. just a few examples. I could I could probably name several more, but those are those are a few of the biggest ones yeah, that, no, that, they're, I think, that they're dealing with right now. I think that was definitely great. What about hybrid approaches for stores like Amazon and also maybe Walmart? I see they just launched their Walmart Plus offering. Are we going to see those trends from big tech coming around more, you think? Yeah, I think we're going to start to see, you know, in some areas in uh, in China and the Far East, there are, even before the virus happened, you know, they were already experimenting with, um, you know, humanless stores. Right. 
where you go in and you, you conduct your business and everything's done by barcode and by, you know, detecting what's on your, your smartphone, et cetera. Yeah. And I, again, the beauty of that is that you can manage that a lot more contactless. So you're going to start to see a lot more of that. And you're going to start to see more augmented reality, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, a lot more intelligent systems being brought to bear right. on helping us manage a lot of these challenges. Um, you know, there's some really cool innovations happening out there right now. Um, and I think that, um, you know, uh, financially, uh, it, you know, it, unfortunately, you're going to start to see uh, a, a wider gap, I'm afraid, because you're going to the companies that know how to do this, can afford to do this, right. are going to start to capture more and more market share and what may be actually a dwindling market share because of the economic conditions. Right. And the companies that either can't or don't or haven't prepared themselves for all of these changes, uh, you're going to see more haves and have nots, unfortunately, in that uh, in that whole dynamic. Right. Understood. So final question I want to wrap up with. Uh, let's say small business owner out there, a lot going on, their business is struggling. Maybe it's from the work from home. Maybe it's getting digitally for their customers. What's the best words of advice that you can probably give them? The I, I, I like to say that uh, people don't realize, but there's a lot of enterprise level thinking, enterprise level technology, solutions, stuff like that, that do trickle down to small to mid-sized business uh, areas. So what kind of advice can you give to these owners that might be struggling with getting everything digital? So I, I think you have to start with, as I mentioned earlier, you know, all business outcomes are a function of those individual choices that people make within the experiences that you provide them. Right. So you have to get very clear, very specific about what choices do your customers need to make to solve whatever problem you're trying to solve for them. And, wow. you, and you've got to decide, you know, um, how you're going to continue to provide those experiences that enable those choices for your customers. You know, it, is it something you can adapt and make it more digital? Is it some, is it some kind of hybrid model that you can bring to bear on that? So you have to really get down and get very focused on what are those individual decisions that people are going to make that are going to drive their success and your success and begin to track whether or not you can sustain those long-term and whether those can function in a contactless world. I think you have to answer those questions first and then decide where you're going to go from there. Oh, that's great advice. Bob, how do people get in touch with you? I'll have a, a landing page. If you go to itstheusers.com slash sharkbite, then I'll have a rich set of downloadable content on user experience. It's a lot of courses, a lot of how-to tools, and a lot of this stuff is stuff that we use with some of the brands I mentioned earlier. So we try to incorporate some best practices in that. And then along with that, I'll also provide you a free one-on-one -on -one consultation to talk about your business, your challenges. How can you move forward in this uh, in this very different world we're all trying to cope with right now? Oh, that's great. And whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, we're going to have that exact link in the description uh, everywhere. Please make sure you get out there. You go talk to Bob, you check out his offerings, get the info as you heard a very, very wise man. Bob, thank you so much for coming on the Shark Bite Biz. David, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Good luck on everything you're working uh, on. Thank you, sir. Cheers. Cheers. Wow. I told you that was super jammed packed. That interview with Bob had so much info in it 
It's unbelievable. Some of this stuff we've heard before, but Bob is one of the brightest minds and the biggest experts in the field. It's really interesting speaking to him about what the new norm would be and how some of these things that are going on right now are probably going to be here to stay in one form or another. Remote work. Like Bob said, companies are finding out that it actually works. One of the other topics that really caught my attention was a discussion around privacy and AI. This wasn't even planned during this interview. It's just one of those things where it just naturally evolved. And I think we had an amazing discussion around that stuff. Isn't it crazy how you can think of a random stuff, never say it out loud, bam, you're seeing ads about it? Yeah, it is pretty crazy what we allow these tech companies to know about us. For some people, it's great. Others, it makes them a little queasy, you know? Uh, you've got to make sure you really understand what you're doing online and how much of it you want to give away for free to these companies. Another item I found interesting in this interview was just to talk around augmented reality and VR possibly becoming more popular as companies are forced to innovate to navigate the pandemic. Think. Maybe you'll be doing more hybrid buying using VR or augmented reality a year from now. That stuff is actually in the pipeline. They're working on those hybrid type stuff. Look at our episode that we did with Sam Castro about the new reality of events and how they're doing hybrid events right now. The future is endless. So as I was saying, this was a pretty amazing conversation. I hoped you all really, really loved it. What did you think about the discussion we had? What do you think about the direction of digital privacy and AI? Put your thoughts down in the comment section and let's have a chat about it. Remember, if you love this video, smash that like button, hit that subscribe button, and as always, let's help get all the words out to all the business owners we can, all the managers we can, directors, young executives, business-minded folks, salespeople, marketing people. Share this video and let's get the Shark Bite Biz word out. Again, I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz, and I'll see you again next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.